Diocese of Churches for the Sake of Others is pleased to present the C4SO podcast, a place to celebrate the voices and values of C4SO. C4SO is a national diocese of the Anglican Church in North America, led by Bishop Todd Hunter. You can learn more about us at c4so.org. All right, everybody, welcome to the C4SO podcast, another episode. I am your host, Ben Sternke. I'm here with Bishop Todd Hunter. How are you, Bishop? Good. Glad to be your sidekick. That's my new sort of thing that makes me feel good in my life is I am Ben Sternke's sidekick. Well, that's it's very, uh, I never know what to what to say to things like that, uh, Todd. So um, <laughs> we are glad to have you with us. I'm glad you hit play on your podcast player today. Um, today, we're starting a new mini series uh, that's going to take us up to Lent. We've got something else special planned for Lent. Um, but this mini series is called Leaders Unplugged. We are just interviewing some of the leaders in our diocese um, of different ge- geographical areas, um, different aspects, people who oversee different aspects of the ministry, uh, just to get to know them and to hear about some of the life of our diocese. I think this is important just because our diocese, one of the unique things about C4SO is that we're spread out all across the country. And so there's, um, I think it's easy to sometimes miss things that are happening in different parts of the country, things that are happening in our diocese that uh, people might not be aware of. So I'm excited for this series uh, to be able to kind of connect people to the life of our diocese uh, that's spread out all across the country. Um, some of these people were announced in a recent email that went out to the C4SO mailing list, which you should definitely sign up for. Um, Andrea Willits puts that together and she does a fantastic job. Just go to c4so.org slash subscribe and you will get uh, announcements about that. And so if you were on that email list, you would have heard the announcement that um, uh, about the people that we're talking to today. Today we're talking with Leon McKenzie and Drew Henley, the very reverend regional co-deans of the Southeast. Uh, I don't know how you Leon. live with that, like very reverend. Very reverend. Well, maybe the same way, Bishop, that you live with uh, the right reverend. I know. Yeah. <laughs> but very yeah. sounds even more so it than sounds, right. Yeah, right, right sure. reverend just feels like, yeah, he's correct. Yeah, he's okay. He's, a, yeah. he's, a, he's yeah. doing all right. But very, very reverend does feel like very. Sounds like Drew and Leon are like the, the bomb. Yeah, to quote the now, 80s. If you get uh if you get to be archbishop, you become the most reverend. That's so right. So that that's a that's gotta be a head trip. So anyway. That's serious business. Anyway, that's part of being an Anglican. We get to give ourselves funny little titles. Um so anyway, Drew, Leon, welcome to the C4SO podcast. It's really great to have you guys here with us. Thank, thank you so you. much for having us. Yeah, yes. thank you. I, I was going to jump in and correct you guys. Uh-huh. Very reverend, make sure. Yes. Don't forget yes. the very. Yeah. yeah. Make sure. <laughs> right. Make sure you call me the very reverend. Right. Uh, yes. Yes. I know. Just like Bishop Todd, you are very, very serious about titles and accolades. So. <laughs> <laughs> accolades would be nice if I just had one. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, well, it's great to have you guys with us. Um, maybe let's just start um, uh, with introducing yourselves, uh, some of your family context, your ministry context. Um, Leon, can we start with you? Sure. Yeah. So um, I serve as associate pastor of Redeemer Community Church in Atlanta with Drew. And uh, I am married, been married for about four years now. And we have one son. He is 10 months old. He is here with me today. I have uh, made a transition to um, 
a home dad, a, mm. I don't know what you call home father. What do you Stay call it? Stay at home dad. Stay at home dad. There you go. There you go. Uh, so during the, the COVID season. And so that's what I'm doing today. So if you hear any commentary in the background, that is him just uh, adding his two wanting cents. To, wanting to chime in. Correct. That's great. Correct. Yeah. Love that. Uh, thank you, Leon. Uh, Drew, Drew, same questions. Just introduce yourself a little bit. Yeah, I am. I also serve uh, as one of the pastors at Redeemer, um, and we have been at Redeemer since the beginning, uh, since it was planted uh, six and a half years ago. And I am married to Diane, um, and we've been married. It'll be uh, 16 years this summer, and then we've got four kids, uh, three girls and a boy that are 10, 8, 6, and 4. Uh, so yeah, it's a full full household over at the yep. Henleys. Yes, 10, 8, 6, and 4. You guys are in it. Both of y'all, stay-at-home dads, four kids, all, yeah, all of that's it. That's a life. Happening. It is. So that's for people who might know Atlanta, what part of the city are you guys in? Where's the church and where's your homes? So we are, the church is located in the Vine City community, um, which is just west of downtown. Uh, so if you're kind of looking at the map, kind of the big landmark is uh, where the Atlanta Falcons play. Uh, they used to play at the Georgia Dome, now the Mercedes-Benz Stadium, and we can kind of see that from the front door of the church building. Mm. Uh, so it's a very historic neighborhood, uh, a lot of history um, dating back to the Civil Rights Movement. Uh, Dr. King before he was assassinated in 68, he actually moved his family into our neighborhood in 1965. And so mm. the number of civil rights um, activists as well as meetings were held kind of in and around our community. And the church is about to move about 10 blocks north into kind of the next neighborhood north is called English Avenue. Uh, so we'll, whenever we can kind of get back to in-person, inside services, uh, that will be kind of where the new church home is. Uh, but my wife and I, we live the next neighborhood over called Washington Park, um, just uh, kind of a little bit further west on the west side of Atlanta. Awesome. Right. And I, I live about six miles west of that in another neighborhood called Adamsville. Really interesting. Um, I live right, right on the border of Collier Heights, and that is the neighborhood that Dr. King's father wanted him to live because that's where affluent black people lived during the time, mm -hmm. and he chose to live in Vine City where uh, there was more of a struggle. So, huh. Fascinating. I love all that history. Um, so you guys co-pastor together then, this church, um, and then recently became co-deans of the Southeast. Um, uh, maybe we can start with Leon. Leon, what does a dean do for people who are unfamiliar with uh, this t this title? Um, what does a dean do in a, in a diocese? Um, I think put, put simply, a dean is a, is a pastor to pastors or a priest to priests um, in a way that assists the bishop who is the par excellence pastor to the pastors. And so um, we essentially, uh, we essentially seek to assist Todd as he cares for this particular region or deanery of our diocese. Okay, so a deanery is a region of the diocese, and you guys are helping Bishop Todd to kind of uh, oversee and care for clergy, being a pastor to the pastors. Correct. Yeah. Drew, well would you said. add anything to that? Yeah, I mean, the only thing, an illustration that kind of helped us think about it was um, kind of like if it's an orchestra, and the um, you know conductors, the the main person in charge, like the bishop, we're kind of like first chair over our little section. Uh, so okay. it's like, all right, how can we yeah. you know help lead and care for the folks who are there, or like a kind of an assistant coach on a baseball team, like the pitching coach, and that that pitching coach has responsibility to those pitchers and caring for them and kind of relaying messages uh, from mm -hmm. the head coach or general manager. And so that's but we serve under under the head coach. 
All right. That's great. That uh, seems pretty clear. Um, Bishop Todd, what, um, what was it about? I mean, why, why'd you pick these guys? <laughs> what was it about yeah. Drew and Leon that sort of made you think that, uh, these guys might be good uh, deans? Yeah, I had a secret little lottery, and they put in more money than everybody else. So there you go. <laughs> the it's underbelly raw, of the diocese. Right, it's just raw, nasty <laughs> politics. Now, you know, this goes all the way back to the, the time I was president of Vineyard Churches, you know, which was a very rapidly growing movement, you know, way more rapidly growing than C4SO. And we we had this constant struggle with how do we care for the things that we start? We were way better at starting things than we were at caring for them. And so then we would take our most gifted leaders that were often, but not always, uh, also the rectors or pastors of the biggest or fastest growing churches, and we'd try to help them oversee things. So in the vineyard, we didn't use words like bishop, obviously, but we had regional directors that might be over 60 or 70 churches. Then we had district uh, I forget what we called them, district somethings who might be over 20 churches. And we had area coordinators that, you know, kind of just tried to help five or six churches stay together. And we never, ever felt like we got that right because it's kind of an impossible job. Most denominations have full-time paid yeah. um, what we call deans. And right. we, of course, don't want to go down that road because it's just such a fast track towards institutionalization. Yeah. It may have to happen someday, but we're trying to hold it off the most we can. Yeah. So all that to say, I've just watched how hard it is for someone to be a senior pastor and to be helping me oversee other churches and other clergy. So I've been looking for creative ways to do that. Hmm. So for instance, in Alan Fadling, the new dean in California, uh, he's not a rector. He's a priest yeah. and an yeah. author and um runs a ministry called Unhurried Leadership or Unhurried Living, one or the other. And um, so that was an experiment. And with Drew and Leon, it's a different sort of experiment. I, I knew they were already co-pastoring their church. Yeah. So I knew they understood codum, so to speak. They understood how to be <laughs> co-leaders of something. Yeah. Um, I knew that individually they have a certain like gift mix and temperament and, you know, um, like set of skills. And that together, those things would come together nicely. And then lastly, uh, the, the Southeast, like many of our regions, is a misnomer because I was joking with Leon yesterday. I think that we now have uh, their region, quote, now in the Southeast now includes Brooklyn, New York. So it goes from <laughs> Brooklyn to Pensacola. Um, wow. So, you know, Atlanta is obviously just a nice middle space if they want to have meetings and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, yeah those are the reasons. Yeah, that's great. Um, I uh, I think that's a really interesting kind of strategic approach uh, to try not to sort of um, pile on too much responsibility on the shoulders of people who have shown responsibility. You know what I mean? Like you, you can end up sort of uh, uh, getting into more depth of responsibility than is than is healthy. So um, I, pr I appreciate uh, hearing about that. Um, how, how is it like, I, I wonder if um, Drew and Leon, if you guys can talk about, a little bit about how co-deaning is going and how co-pastoring is going. Like, how are you, how long have you guys been uh, doing this together? And then like, how is, how long have you been on the job as co-deans? Um, and how, and how is it going? Kind of deaning together. Uh, I can start. Uh, we, we are in essence like 
nine days into codeining. So um, okay. maybe check, check back with us. In They're like still in their months. hazing phase. We're nine still days strong. Yeah. Yeah. We're nine this days strong. This podcast is part of your hazing. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, well, if, it's, if it's this easy, we might do this for a long time. Uh, yeah. But, but yeah, so we, we don't know exactly. Uh, Leon, Leon actually just put out uh, a few emails uh, to okay. all of the clergy in our uh, deanery uh, to set up some meetings. Uh, so the kind of step number one is just for us to get to know all these folks. And we know the, a lot of the local ones in Atlanta, we obviously know. Um, but yeah, the, the new churches in Brooklyn, uh, down to Florida, like we uh, have some, some um, inter- have had some interaction with those clergy, but a lot of them are brand new to us. So kind of first step is just getting to know all of the uh, deans and I mean all of the clergy in our in our deanery uh, and kind of seeing what their specific roles are and kind of seeing if we can carve out how best we can serve them. That's great. Leon, what would you add to that? Not a whole lot because I'm still, <laughs> you know, we are still figuring this out and um, what Drew said is about as far as we've gotten so far. So going nine days strong and, and ready to keep moving on. So Good. Good. Um, what, one question I want to ask everybody that is, um, deaning in our diocese is just because we've got this, um, uh, nationwide kind of all across the United States diocese. Um, I think it's interesting that, um, ministry looks very different in the South, uh, in Atlanta than it does up here in Indianapolis, uh, or Southern California, you know, all of that kind of thing. So, um, I wonder if you guys could um, lay out for us a little bit. Just get us, let, help us know for your region, and maybe just talk specifically about the South. You guys live in in Atlanta uh, with your church there. You don't have to talk about Brooklyn uh, necessarily, but like, what are the unique challenges and opportunities of ministry um, in Atlanta, in in and in maybe the South generally? Yeah. Well, Ben, ironically, I'm I'm actually native to Brooklyn. Are you really? So yeah, so it's it's I'm I'm pretty um, astonished that they're going to be in our deanery. That's cool. Uh, but yeah, but they are worlds apart. Uh, the southeast, I think, one of the biggest challenges to doing ministry in the southeast, particularly, is that it is the heart of the Bible Belt, mm-hmm. and in the Bible Belt, you have to deal with a lot of religious pretension, right? Hmm. Um, a lot of uh, preconceived Christianity. And uh, it's it's really difficult to 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 assume that anyone is anywhere in their faith, yeah. right? Yeah. And so that that it presents a, a challenge that is different from a place like Brooklyn, where people don't feel the need to have any profession of faith. Period. Yeah. Yeah. And so if if they do, they probably have a fairly a fairly sincere one. Right. And here you just can't know. You, you just can't know. You, you have to do um, some significant life with people to figure it out. Yeah. And and, uh, and it does present a challenge. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So people don't, in, in Brooklyn, you don't gain any cultural cachet by going to church or, you know, pretending to kind of use religious language or say praise, praise God when good things happen. Uh, <laughs> but in the South, you do. You know, in the South, that's sort of just like you know, when everybody talks like that, you know, and so it's hard to know where people are at in their faith um, in, in a way that's unique there in the Bible Belt. That's fascinating. Yeah, what else? Yeah. Uh, what, yeah, go ahead. What would, what would you add, Drew? Yeah, I mean, I think as someone that's, yeah, spent almost my entire life in the South, so from Georgia to Tennessee, Kentucky, South Carolina, and back to Georgia, and it's, 
uh, it's fascinating, uh, especially this is kind of near and dear to our hearts as uh, two pastors of a multi-ethnic church in a predominantly um, black section of Atlanta, is in the South, like racial issues um, are just very profound and very uh, kind of deeply rooted in um, in the history and in the culture of the South. I mean, there's yeah. Atlanta in particular. I mean, Atlanta is a very diverse city for the South. I mean, it is, um, yeah, there's tons of uh, minority-owned businesses, um, just, you know, tons of very successful minorities that have either come from Atlanta or gravitated towards Atlanta. But it's also still extremely segregated um, and different parts of the city have a totally different feel to them. Um, and I would say outside of Atlanta, uh, that is, it just gets more and more uh, kind of profound. Uh, so mm. when you think about South Carolina, Florida, uh, Virginia, rural parts of Georgia, um, the issues of race have are deeply rooted in kind of how culture works, but have not really been talked about, and we have not really dealt with them in a discipleship way as a church. And so if you're pastoring a church in the Southeast, uh, you're coming into a situation, uh, coming into a, a church body or you know, having a church body that uh, has been deeply affected by race, but has not really kind of dealt with it usually in a very uh, healthy way. Yeah. So race hasn't been part of the discipleship of people. Um, There's sort of been a cultural inheritance about this is how we deal with things or this is how we think about things, um, but it's never really been an explicit part of the discipleship of Christians traditionally. Mm-hmm. And that's a that's a challenge then for you guys as you lead this multi, multi-ethnic community, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah. it... it it's somewhat polarizing the way we do church with this um, intentionally uh, multi-ethnic, uh, multi-racial church, uh, because it's either either it, it's extremely attractive to someone because it's novel to everyone here. So either mm-hmm. it's extremely attractive, or it's 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 um, I don't want to say repulsive, but whatever is a whatever is a tamer way to say that. unattractive, yeah. right, right, yeah. to them um, because it's novel. It's 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 not it's hmm. not it's not seen a whole lot. Hey, everybody. Uh, Once again, it is time for the C4SO Cycle of Prayer Spotlight, where we highlight uh, specific ministries that we're praying for um, this week in our diocesan cycle of prayer. And this week, we're still in a little bit of a catch-up mode because we've been praying for ministries each week, but um, haven't been releasing podcasts over the Christmas break. Um, So anyway, we're in catch-up mode, but a couple weeks ago, uh, we were praying for Shared Life Community Church um, in Dallas-Fort Worth area, and it is led by the Reverends Chris and Jennifer Goers, and they've uh, joined us to share briefly about uh, what is going on right now and how we can pray specifically for them. Chris and Jen, welcome to the C4SO Cycle of Prayer Spotlight. Hey, Ben. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks very much. Yes. Um, So as it regards Shared Life Community Church and what's happening right now in the life of your community, can you share with us one thing you're encouraged by? Yes, I um, we talked together, so we've kind of split it up. Mm-hmm. Great. <laughs> I'm That's going first. Um, my encouragement has been that God's work is so complete through Jesus that um, it just amazes me every time we have a, most of the people we work with are not interested in God, 
Um, they're coming with their lives completely falling apart and don't want us to talk about Christianity and that, and that's fine. Um, but what's amazing is every time I suggest, well, you're going to have to go to God with that. They do. And he meets them. So I, one example Mm. is this, um, lady I've been working with, we started working with them as a couple and it's been a year and she was not interested in God. She didn't want to talk about Christianity. That's fine. Let's just walk together. Mm-hmm. And now it's been a year and she did come to the unfortunate decision to, that she needed to have a divorce for safety mm-hmm. issues. Mm-hmm. And the day that she filed for a divorce, the next day she lost her job. Oh. And when I talked to her, she's crying and she said, you know, I just woke up this morning. I surrendered my life. I told oh. God he's going to have to handle this mm-hmm. and I'm just going to stay surrendered all day. Because wow. he's the one that can handle this. And I just thought, oh my gosh, I cried. Um, mm. Because he's so faithful. Just any mm. little cry he meets with yeah. abundance. And it's yeah. just so encouraging. Well, that's great. Shared, shared life indeed, I guess, huh? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. And if, for, for me, it's that man are coming alive that I'm working with. Um, mm. My friend Jim had lived alive for decades uh, before he just, he finally asked for help from his unwanted sexual behavior. Um, so now he says like, I have actual feelings that I can talk about Wow! and, um, I have a relationship with God that's uh, deeper than anything I've had because of this uh, 12 step discipleship. That's, that's awesome. my encouragement. Yeah. Yeah. That is really encouraging. I appreciate those stories. Um, let's go to the other side of things. How, what's a challenge that you guys are facing right now? Our biggest challenge is that, uh, God really gave us a heart for people that are in the church. So it's interesting to see what, what's happening, but, like mm. most churches now still uh, they have a hard time with that topic of unwanted sexual behavior. So it's either uncomfortable or scary or awkward. So it's rarely brought up in the church. Yeah. Uh, so most of the people we come, uh, they come from outside the church or privately on their own, either through word of mouth or through the um, like internet searching. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I think that as we, it's interesting that as we're getting more um, training and um, just kind of understanding what God has, as he's unfolding things and he's bringing people to our lives, that um, I just wonder how those two are going to go together. Hmm. Um, because I'm I'm learning, I'm doing like a whole different track of life coaching, betrayal, trauma, group work, and Chris is now going to do internal family systems therapy therapy to be a practitioner because they allow that for clergy and um he's just seen an amazing growth with his addiction people and i've seen an amazing growth with my um support group to just encourage people to walk along and god has hope for them um and i just have that desire to do that within the church and i just think it could grow because here's a bunch of people that don't have faith and when they do it's amazing so i'm thinking what can we do with people who do have faith and just, yeah. you know, need some encouragement to, to lean on the Lord because it's Very not good. really any different within yeah. or without the church as far as what we've seen and experienced. Hmm. So that would be kind of a challenge, but we're letting God really kind of figure out how to open that door. <laughs> all right. Uh, in light of all this, how can we pray for you? Oh, I am. Um, our family has just been really um, affected. We didn't realize we had been living in a, a water damaged building. So our, our home mm. was full of mold and everyone's oh, wow. sick. 
Ugh. And so we're starting to, we built a house, we're building a house. We're going to move into a new build, which seemed to be the best recommendation for all of us getting healthy. Okay. And um, God's providing that for us. It's the first time we've owned a house in 20 years. Um, so we're really excited. But at the same time, we just have multiple health issues that yeah. are ongoing. So cool. if you guys could pray for that, that would be, yes. it would make a lot of life easier. Yep. Yes. Very good. Thanks. Well, thanks for joining us, Chris and Jen. Um, listeners, if you'd like to uh, find out more about Shared Life Community Church or contribute to their work, check out the link in the show notes and we'll see you next time. Yeah, so uh, intentionally multi-ethnic. Like, what is... Um, what does that mean practically for you guys? Like how, how do you, you know, uh, I, I'm, in, I'm assuming that you guys are, you keep, you know, you keep using the word multi-ethnic, multi-racial. And so I'm assuming you have to sort of attempt to do that. That doesn't just happen uh, because, you know, you want it to, or, you know, that kind of a thing. But what, what, what do you guys do specifically um, to sort of cultivate that in your church? Yeah. I mean, I think you're kind of spot on with the intentionality of it. When you think about, uh, churches, you know, Dr. King, who we just on our mind with Dr. King Day, him mm-hmm. saying, you know, 40 years ago that uh, 11 o'clock on Sunday morning is the most segregated hour of the week. And yeah. sadly, like that's still very true in 2021. And so yeah. if we, if that's the kind of reality for most churches, it does take an intentional effort to say, what does it look like for us to be multi-ethnic? And for mm-hmm. us, there's a number of things that we, um, we think are very vital to a healthy multi-ethnic church. Uh, First and foremost, we think that uh, being willing to talk about uh, race issues, uh, talk about um, what injustices, systemic injustices, individual injustices, uh, and just name uh, the, not only the history of race, but kind of the present reality of the sin of racism um, just helps us to kind of deal with it head on. And then another thing that's been very important for us is to have representation of, of minorities in leadership positions. Uh, so Leon and I, when we co-pastor, um, a lot of our, from the front, like he will preach uh, one Sunday and all oversee the liturgy and then we'll flip the next Sunday. And we have a third uh, priest, a third uh, ordained pastor at uh, Redeemer, who's also uh, a black man who he will preach about once a quarter or so and oversee our spiritual formation classes. But that's super important. Uh, our yeah. staff, our you know kids pastor is a Nigerian woman. Outreach pastor uh, is a black woman um, that grew up in a similar neighborhood to ours. Our worship pastor is a white woman. Um, and so there's a, a good mix of different folks on staff playing kind of different important roles for our church. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think the biggest thing, I I agree with everything that Drew said. The biggest thing I would add to it is something that I heard uh, Tisha Hadra uh, mention in a panel I was in not too long ago. Fantastic, fantastic woman. What's up, Tisha? But but, um, Hmm. she mentioned that it's important (laughs) to have leadership that embodies what you would love your, your church or congregation to look like. But it's also important to make sure that that leadership flavors your church, right? She used the word flavor. And, and that's that they, they actually, um, pr- uh, they play integral parts um, in the tapestry, the, the making of your church, right? And, um, and that's, I think that's what we do above all. That's where our intentionality lies. It's not just that you're on staff, not, that, not just that you attend, but that you are heard and that your voice is incorporated in what we do. 
And I think that's the biggest piece of our intentionality. Um, yeah. yeah. I like that. The, the, not just not just present uh, and represented sort of visually, but um, able to speak into how we do things, um, able to kind of give input into, um, a lo- you know, how decisions get made and all that kind of stuff. That's really good. Um, so speaking of um, racial issues, Drew, I, I wanted to ask you about this. I, I saw on one of the other emails um, recently that you are leading a Be the Bridge group again. Mm-hmm. Um, do, tell us a little bit about what Be the Bridge is, who is it for, um, and then maybe a little bit about this. I don't know if, I don't know who can sign up for it. Um, maybe I'm speaking yeah. out of turn, but <laughs> um, if, if people can sign up for it, where they can, uh, where they can do so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, um, so at Redeemer, we have a church that um, is somewhere around kind of half white, half non-white. And uh, we, as we said, talk a lot about race issues and just what it looks like for us to be, to love our neighbor well. And so in order to love our neighbor well, we have to understand our neighbor and kind of the, the the issues that they face if they're different than our own. So this goes from, this is talking about racial diversity, socioeconomic diversity, uh, gender diversity. Uh, as, you know, four men on this podcast, for us to love mm-hmm. our sisters well, um, doesn't mean that we just think about how, you know, our experience, we've kind of put ourselves in their shoes to say, what does it look like to be a woman in America and or a woman in the workplace and kind of learn from that and then kind of, figure out what does it look like for us to love them well in that setting or in our role as their brothers. And so for uh, this at our church, uh, we had we invited our the white folks at Redeemer to go through the six-week curriculum where we use some of the Be the Bridge material, um, not all of it. Uh, we kind of supplement it with our own material and sermons, uh, articles that we have found really helpful from different Christian leaders. Uh, across the growth, I mean, across America and, you know, from different denominational backgrounds. And the goal of it is to both educate, um, but also to provide a space where we can really have healthy discussion. Uh, we recognize that there's so many uh, white leaders um, in, you know, in our church, but in, across C4SO um, that really have a desire to grow in their understanding of how to love their black and brown brothers and sisters, but just feel kind of stuck. And there's a mm. million different you know, resources out there, there, you know, you watch the news and there's, you know, somebody's telling you on, on one side saying, this is how you do this well. On the other side, they're saying how terrible the other side's doing and what, you mm. know, every, and it just feels confusing and they feel stuck is the word we keep hearing over and over again. So the goal of this is to provide a setting where folks can come together in a safe place, ask their questions that they may feel like are dumb questions or they feel insecure about asking um, and us just discussing what it looks like as white people to love our black and brown brothers and sisters well. So we did the first class in the fall, uh, kind of October, November, December. It's a six week class. Um, it was great. We had uh, different clergy from um, yeah, in Indiana to Texas to California uh, and in Georgia. And so it was just a wonderful uh, kind of discussion in good to hear different folks' experiences. And so there is definitely a teaching portion of it, um, but mm-hmm. the hope is that, is that we would all kind of bring our own experiences into the conversation as well. So the next one starts uh, mid-February, and there should be a link on the email, but you can either email me at drew at redeemeratl.org or email Andrea, uh, and we can get you signed up for it. Okay. And is that, is that for anybody or is it specifically for clergy? I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure. Yeah. So we would love to reserve it for clergy for now. Um, and so the class will only be 
about six to eight people because uh, if okay. it gets more than that, it's it's hard because we talk a lot about, I mean, the first um, first week kind of go over everything, um, but also talk about our own experiences with race okay. and kind of what your childhood looked like. When was the first time you had a discussion about race? What has diversity looked like in your life? When have you... Okay. Uh, kind of made a mess of, of diverse situation. Have you ever been, you know, had to apologize for things that you've said or done? And, and even your family history involved with race, going back generations. So in order for us to be able to have enough time and space to have those conversations, okay. we've tried to limit it to six to eight people. Okay. All right. So that's specifically for uh, clergy. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll put a link to that in the show notes in case anybody wants to, uh, to look that up. Um. One final question for both of you. Um, as you guys think about 2021, I know you're only nine days into the job here uh, as of this recording. Um, but as you think about 2021, what are you looking forward to, hoping for, praying for in terms of ministry, um, in terms of uh, life, in terms of the the dean, the deanery yeah, of the Southeast? Um, personally, I'm hoping that we can get back to being in person. That's a huge, that's a huge one. Um yeah, just, just continuing yeah. to pray yes. that the Lord would yes. would just do whatever necessary to stay this this virus and and to, um, preserve some life would be fantastic. Um, Amen. I think personally, my desire yes. for the deanery as as one of the deans of this co dean ship uh, TM I just trademarked that, um, <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think my desire <laughs> is um, I, I just really want to know what each each uh, each clergy person's um, desire is for the ministry and the work that they're called to. You know, because not everyone is is a pastor or a rector, whatever it is. And mm -hmm. I'd really love to to um, to go to great pains to to help them realize whatever that passion is to to see it see it uh, be fruitful. So, yeah, mm -hmm. that's great, Leon. I didn't mean to Love cut that. you off there, but I'm just, that's so great. Well, you know, that's, that's what, that's what I'm here for, to make the bishop's heart <laughs> exceedingly glad. Um, <laughs> for our church, um, I've just been, we said, I talked about this yesterday in our dean's meeting. I have been floored by God's grace and, and how well we, we've made it through this season. Because uh, we, we didn't expect, honestly, humanly speaking, to make it very well. And um, we've actually made it very well. And um, the Lord's been kind in that way. And I just love to see whenever we, we do get back to some level of normalcy that this, the connectivity we've experienced, um, the drawing near to the Lord and He to us, that that just remains. That's my greatest uh, desire for uh, 2021 going into 2022. So, mm. Mm. That's great. I appreciate hearing that. Yeah. The only thing I would add to that um, is that I hope I hope that in this role, and I'm excited that we get to do it together because in 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 role at the church with us doing stuff, you know, doing pastoral work together, there's oftentimes where you know Leon has just a clear voice into someone's life that I'm I'm foggy on, or vice versa, or we're able to mm -hmm. kind of discern who can who's uh, who's kind of best gifted to kind of tackle this question. And for us, I feel like we are really excited um, just to be wind in the sails to the clergy and our deanery. Um, mm -hmm. As you know, as we, I talk to pastors and priests, you know, across the city uh, and across you know different friends all over the. 
country, I, the same theme comes up that folks are just tired, they're exhausted, they feel yeah. beat up. Um, and 2020 was exhausting for everybody, but especially for pastors, kind of thinking through how do I you know, address race issues and social unrest and political issues. And that didn't, you know, that hasn't, as we know, it hasn't stopped in, in 2021 and will continue to have to navigate uh, kind of tricky waters as uh, clergy members, and we just want to be a resource to help. We want them to know that we're praying for them, uh, know that we are here, you know, sometimes just to listen uh, and process um, and just kind of be an encouragement to them uh, and just get to kind of keep keep them, uh, yeah, fueled up and encouraged and win in their sails as they do the work God's called them to do. Awesome. Okay. Um, if there are people listening and they um, want to connect with you, maybe to hear more about C4SO's work, maybe more about the deanery. Um, how can people can get in touch email with you guys? me at the very reverend Leon? <laughs> that changed it right away as soon as I, I saw my that email, email address after I got this new um, title. Yeah. No, um, yeah, you can just email me at leon at redeemeratl.org. Um, not super social at the moment. Um, maybe that'll change, okay. um, but um, definitely please email me. <laughs> yes. It's social in terms of social media, but uh, that was being a stay-at-home dad is a very social, social. Job, uh, from my understanding. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. In mine's the same. Just Drew at RedeemerATL dot org. Okay. So very good. I, I think yeah, I want to say here that, um, uh, of course, I'm not perfect about this, but um, either when I go home, you know, five six o'clock or before going to bed, um, I practice examine, you know, just going through my day and finding, you know, where did I sense the presence of God and consolation? Where did I, you know, sense distance or desolation or whatever? And some days I can do it, you know, just off the top of my head. If some days have so many moving parts in them, I have to actually get out my phone and remember kind of everything that happened. Yeah. But I find myself, I'm just guessing here, 80% of the time as I do that, I find it turning to thanks. Mm -hmm. And the most thanks it turns to, or the most frequent reason examine turns to thanks for me is for the leaders that I'm surrounded by. And uh, you three would be included in that today. It's just so great to have, I think one of the greatest gifts God's given C4SO, and it's certainly no magic button I have to push, is that we consistently attract and are creating this community of um, really good leaders. So hmm. I'm thankful for you guys, Drew and Leon and Ben, for you hosting the podcast. You're you're frequently uh, a uh, a part of my prayers of Thanksgiving. Hmm. Well, thanks for sharing that. I, I was gonna um, the idea popped into my head, put you on the spot a little bit, Bishop. But I wondered if you would pray for yeah. Drew and Leon and pray for the um, uh, pray for the Southeast Deanery. Uh, yeah. To to close the podcast, if you can't if you can't uh, put a bishop on the spot to pray, um, yeah, then so what are they I'm, good for? Right, totally. <laughs> I'm not very right, Reverend. If I can't even rightly pray, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, but let's let's so close with a prayer for these guys and for the, yeah. for the deanery. Yeah, as you say that, Ben, the the picture that came to my mind is that passage. I think it's in Second Timothy, but it could be First, where you know Paul says, you know, fan into flame the gifts that were given to you you know, the laying on of hands. So, Father, mm. I ask that all the gifts that you've given Leon and Drew, all the things that Psalm 139 that you built into them before they were even formed in their mother's womb, 
all that you've intended them for, all that you've shaped them for, uh, may it come to pass. Breathe the breath of your spirit on them, I pray, that you would stir up in them all the gifts you've given them to be leaders of leaders and servants to servants. We pray for the clergy that they have relationship with, the churches that they um, aim to serve. And we pray over this this whole issue, this whole big idea of them being co-deans over the Southeast. As you taught us, may your kingdom come. Mm -hmm. And may your will be done in and through their lives and their work, perfectly, even as it is in heaven. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. And we have another Cycle of Prayer Spotlight today as we're getting caught up uh, from um, the beginning of uh, end of last year and the beginning of this new year. Um, just getting caught up with some of the churches that we've been focusing on on our diocesan cycle of prayer. And so uh, we're also focused today on... Uh, the Mission Anglican Church in Pensacola, Florida, led by uh, the Reverend Ron Browning. Ron, welcome to the Cycle of Prayer Spotlight. Thank you, Ben. It's good to be with you. Yeah, it's good to have you. Um, tell us, uh, as it regards your leadership at um, the church there, what one thing you're encouraged by right now? Uh, well, honestly, there's several things. Uh, you know, when we went into this pandemic, we were on a steep learning curve, so mm-hmm. uh, our online presence, which didn't exist before, <laughs> has grown substantially. So, so yeah. that's pretty exciting. <laughs> and uh, out of that, we've added quite a number of people to the church, so that have been coming to live worship. <laughs> uh, so, th- those are really positive things. And I think probably, uh, I think most people would say this. I'm really grateful and encouraged by the fact that giving didn't go down as much as we thought it would. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's so been we, a common thing. Okay. Yes. Yeah. That's good. That is encouraging. Um, how about one challenge that you're facing right now? Well, uh, you know, when we, uh, when we shut down originally, we're now having live services, but mm-hmm. uh, when we first shut down, we, we shut down our um, youth and children's ministries as well as our small groups. So, uh, you know, as we come out of this pandemic, there's a real challenge trying to rebuild those programs and figure out, uh, do we do what we did before? Is it time to yeah. make some changes? That mm-hmm. sort of thing. So uh, those are challenges. I, I think, the other challenge that's really huge in my mind is how to get people back in worship. We probably have a little less than half of our people attending now. The rest are online. Okay. And uh, and a lot of people enjoy having church in their pajamas. Uh, <laughs> and they've expressed that. So I'm, I'm concerned about yeah. uh, how we're going to turn that corner and uh, get people back into a, a place where there's real fellowship and communion and yeah, corporate worship. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, in light of all that, how can we pray for you and uh, for uh, the Mission Anglican Church? Well, I, I think you could uh, pray for, of course, the people in the church that we would remain healthy. We've been fortunate in that. Um, I think we we probably need prayers and wisdom as we're rebuilding our 
small groups and our children's ministry and youth ministry, uh, wisdom in, in hiring, but also wisdom in what those programs are going to look like. And I guess I would say wisdom in what things we pick back up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So lots of wisdom, wisdom for all these yeah. decisions that yeah. you need to make uh, in these. Uh, sure. It's kind of a cliche, but unprecedented times, but it certainly <laughs> feels that way. I've, I've never led through a pandemic. And so this is new to me. <laughs> well, our our church is unique too. We're in a military town. And so oh, my, okay. my congregation, you know, the political divide that's out there, it, that, that's a, mm. a challenge uh, that we're constantly talking about and trying to, mm. to find common ground. So okay. I, I guess I have a lot of prayer requests. Yes, indeed. <laughs> All right. Well, I appreciate the, uh, you sharing those with us, sure. uh, Ron, and thanks for joining us. You're very um, welcome. To our listeners, if you'd like to find more, find out more about the Mission Anglican Church or to contribute to their work, check out the link that I will put in the show notes. Uh, Ron, we'll talk to you next time. Thank you so much. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the C4SO Podcast. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. Email us your thoughts and suggestions at connect at c4so.org.